Hey, this is Dan Savage, and you're listening to the Savage Love Podcast, a once-a-week uh, sort of out-loud version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. Folks, call in to 206-201-2720, record a question. I do what I can to give them an answer, uh, give them a little help. That's what we're here for. We're here to help. Uh, so let's go to the first question. Hey, this is Jeff, and um, I'm 36. I've been out for about four years. Um, before that, I was married, so I had like an ex-wife and kids and the whole nine yards. But I was just wondering, because uh, I guess I'm still trying to figure this all out, but um, I've discovered that it is very easy to hook up and have sex with men. Um I mean, I'm a Craigslist expert, but I'm having a real difficult time, and it's really discouraging when you try to do a more conventional, like, dating kind of scene where you get to know somebody and you go out, whatever, talk, and um, just not get, I'm, I'm just finding that it's like, that's like impossible, whereas like, just emailing back and forth and then meeting somewhere and then going back to your house or a hotel is so much easier. And I was just wondering, is it because maybe I'm in a large metropolitan city and it's that way because there's so much to choose from, or is that everywhere? I mean, I guess I'm really, I'm just really confused and I'm wondering, what have I done? Because this is very discouraging. So you've discovered all on your own that it's easy to hook up and have sex with men. That's a that's a remarkable discovery. I don't think anyone's ever discovered that before. It's, a, it's new and uncharted territory. I'm sorry to be an asshole. Uh, but it's early, and I'm a little hungover, and so it's going to be asshole savage today. Uh, listen, uh, there's some self-sorting that goes on in the gay dating world uh, with a lot of overlap, like a Venn diagram. There's a little bit of overlap. There's really guys who are really only interested in uh, sex partners that they can use, like uh, tissues or dirty socks or old T-shirts on the floor next to the bed. They just want you there to get off, wipe up, uh, and get out. Um, and they don't necessarily want to interact with you. Those guys are not going to be on dating sites. Those guys are not going to be in bars uh, necessarily or certain kinds of bars wanting to vet. Those guys are not going to be uh, interested in seeing you more than once, uh, even if you're really good, even if the sex is awesome. A lot of those guys are just interested in, you know, moving on to the next potato chip. Uh, so if you're going on Craigslist, if you're going on the really sleazy hookup sites, uh, those are the guys who have, you know, uh, self-sorted and selected themselves uh, into that environment. And, and, you know, you can't complain about meeting whores if you're uh, dashing through, uh, you know, the Internet whorehouses. Uh, that's really what you're going to meet, um, which is not to say that there aren't some guys like you doing the Craigslist thing who are also interested in dating. Uh, it really falls to you, though, to say that that's who you are, that you are interested in dating, that you're interested in more than just sex. You know, it is my experience in gay land that uh, most people want to have sex first and think about a date second or dating second. <laughs> most guys want somebody else to pass the uh, sexual audition, want to establish that there's some sexual rapport before uh, they become emotionally involved. I think that's kind of a male thing and a male intimacy thing. So I'm down with that. You know, I've been with the same guy for 12 years and uh, people will say to me, people who haven't read anything I've ever written, uh, you know, young, dumb, gay kids will say to me, oh, I want what you want. I want a commitment and I want a boyfriend and, a, you know, a house and a kid and even a dog, you have a dog. I want all that, but I disapprove of the gay scene and gay bars and recreational drug use and alcohol and I disapprove of one-night stands. How do I get what you got? And I say, you know, I was in a gay bar and I was drunk and I met this kid who was stoned out of his mind and we had a one-night stand and it never ended. Um, so even I, like, you know, 
in my long-term relationship, uh, it began with a cheap and sleazy one-night stand. So I don't want to tell you that a cheap and sleazy anything can't be the beginning of something very beautiful. One of the very first gay couples I ever met uh, met in a bathhouse uh, in the 70s and uh, realized that they actually kind of liked each other and uh, took it from there. So you might meet somebody on Craigslist. I just called it a whorehouse, and it is a whorehouse. You might meet some, you know, there's nice people in whorehouses. Occasionally there's the hooker with the heart of gold. They're usually the exception, which is why they make the movies about them. They don't make the movies about average people. Uh, so you might meet one and, and be able to get something going. Uh, but you need to put it out there that that's what you're looking for. You know, you want you, know, you want to get your uh, your ball sack drained, and you want to you want to get off, and you want to like shoot your load, whatever they say on Craigslist these days. Um, and that's cool, uh, but you need to put out there when you talk to these guys that you know you're open to dating. That if you like them, give them your phone number. Or you'll open yourself up for some rejection. Like you'll say to some guy if you meet him on Craigslist, if you just do a hookup, you'll say, hey, you know, here's I kind of like you. You say, I kind of like you. Here's my phone number. Give me a call sometime. Let's go to a movie. Let's do something. Let's date. Uh, and he he'll smile and he'll take your number. And you know, eight out of ten, nine out of ten of the guys that you do that to, perhaps, will never call you. Uh, and then you can commiserate with all your heterosexual female friends about men who never call. Uh, you know, gay men are men too, and men first. Um, on the other hand, you know, everyone pisses and moans about the bar scene, but there's something to uh, the bar scene. There's something to being in an environment where you can have some sort of interaction that isn't about uh, the exact dimensions of your dick before you meet. Um, and it's not just about sending cock shots back and forth before you meet. You can have a drink. You can have a chat. Some bars are incredibly sleazy. But you can actually have a conversation and feel like you've established a, a rapport before you have that one-night stand. That's what I did. You know, I met my boyfriend in a bar, and we talked for a couple hours before we fucked um, and had established some sort of, like, feeling that, you know, oh, he's cool. I'm cool. We're, you know, I dig him. It seems like he digs me uh, as people first, uh, not as sort of chopped up body parts in – uh, weird pictures uh, dashed back and forth on the internet. So that, that's my advice. Uh, you know, I, I welcome out. It's great. You're really just about, I think you don't begin to age emotionally until you come out and start dating. So you're probably about 19 years old right now. So I wouldn't be too upset about not getting it exactly right uh, at the at the outset. Um, but, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, you know, you're 36. Keep having sex. Keep having fun. Please be safe. Uh Please know that, you know, you're, if you're drawing all your partners from Craigslist, you're drawing your partners from a pool of guys who statistically are going to have more sexually transmitted diseases. And if you're having a lot of anonymous sex, you're having sex with a lot of guys who don't really give a shit about you. Uh, but maybe in that pile uh, you'll find a guy who could give a shit about you and a guy that you could give a shit about. It does happen, but you have to put yourself out there. You have to take the risk. You have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to give your phone number and, and be a human being. Uh, some guys go out with a really thick... Um, you know, with really thick skin because they expect to get hurt. So they'll act all tough and awful and like they don't care. And then you'll act that way too. And, and that's why men are such shitholes to have to date and why men have intimacy issues because we go out there with all our armor on and wonder why everybody else is so impenetrable and uh, unapproachable when we're doing that ourselves. So you have to let your guard down before, sometimes before other guys will too. Good luck with that. Happy dating. And I just wanted to give more useful, very useful and helpful information to the guy who just posted an ad in your column, Cock Ain't Penetrating, um, <laughs> Cap, because um, this is what I tell guys who have that problem, who are smaller hung. Um, here's something that he doesn't have to do one bit, that all he has to do is tell females how to do, and then they can control it, and everything is all better. And that is, they need to learn how to take charge of their G-spots 
and there's easy instructions on how to do that in the book um, Joy of Sex. Um, <laughs> the G-spot, of course, is internal in the vagina, and you can also learn to control um, anything along your whole vagina internal wall, including your cervix. You can, it takes about a month of, says five minutes a day, that's all it takes is five minutes a day of daily exercise on the G-spot and on the internal of your vaginal wall, and you'll learn to um, just exercise. You'll be exercising it. You'll learn to create pressure. What that will help the female do is she can actually be in charge of her own orgasms. It'll help her come just like that, which is great for her. In addition, it'll be fun for the guy because the guy can feel her emphasis on him. Ooh. And if she wants to, she's really nice like me, <laughs> just with guys I've liked. Um, he'll enjoy that emphasis on her and she'll seem, she'll create her, um, her feeling of being tighter and smaller herself, which I think can be better for a guy. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, the G-spot is a really great option. And, uh, you know, uh, when a guy's got a small dick and if you've got a small dick, it'll always be small and you need to embrace it. Um, it's not just something, a problem that he can solve, making sure that she gets off. Yes, the woman can uh, take charge for vagina, as you suggest. I recommend The Joy of Sex. recommend lots of other books out there. I uh, recommend the Greenery Press website for tons of books um, on getting control of your G-spot and everything else. So the Grafenberg spot, embrace it, learn how to clamp down on it, uh, and uh, you will benefit. <laughs> it's kind of early for this for me. Hi, Dan. I'm a 56-year-old straight man, and I'm addicted to drama queens. Now, some of my relationships with drama queens have been wonderful and fulfilling, and I've been able to stay friends with them long after a romantic relationship ended, but um, other relationships didn't go so well. So you know, I can accept that there'll always be drama when you're dating a drama queen, and that's obviously what I love about them, but there's good drama and bad drama. It kind of seems to be relative to how aware the drama queen is of the fact that they are a drama queen. So I've learned to look for things like close, long-term friends, decent relationships with their exes and stuff like that, uh, but it's it's not a perfect system, so what are some early warning signs that I might be dating a, a bad drama drama queen, and what's your advice for someone who's into drama queens? Well, this guy left me his phone number, so let's uh, give him a call and talk to him live, live, live on the podcast. Hello? Hey, it's Dan Savage. Hi. So uh, just just to beat you up for a second before I embrace you and, and, and comfort you and suckle you to my hairy bosoms, um, <laughs> When someone says, you know, everybody I date is a bitch, like a guy, oh, all the guys I've ever dated are bitches, or some gay guy goes on and on about all the guys he's ever dated are, you know, such cheating, slutty whores. I always wonder about that person, because they're the common denominator in all their relationships. Oh, that's really not what I meant to imply at all. Oh, well, no, I didn't, I'm not saying you're saying they're all bitches and whores, but they're drama queens. Um, yeah, but maybe I you're, are you the drama queen? Is it you? Since if I mean, are you bringing drama into? You say you like a certain amount of drama. Are you the one creating the drama in all your relationships? No, no, and, and I try to create relationships with people who are bring an element of drama to what they do, but not necessarily have like crazy drama going on in their life. And so, what, what do you say? There's drama, and you're attracted to drama queens. What do you mean? I guess um, you know people who are like bombastic who just are high energy. Everything they do, it's like it's, it's a really big deal. It's important. And, you know, it's just, it's exciting to me. It's like people whose everything in their life is really high stakes and are really yeah. sort of exciting to be around and a little a little off the hook. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a little, little low-key myself because, you know, I, I just think I don't get too excited about the good things. I don't get too depressed about the bad things. And 
I just enjoy being around people who are really like, I don't know, high energy. So you need a little opposites attract action. Yeah. Because exactly. you're a little placid. You want someone who's a little turmoil. Right. Or not really, well, you know, turmoil. I don't mean turmoil in a ne- negative sense. I mean, they're like ro- roiling a little bit. They're, they're yeah. you know, rougher waters than you are. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I, I really want to emphasize these, these relationships have been good relationships. Uh-huh. I'm still, of my three longest-term exes, they're three of my best friends, you know? And so your question is, how do you find a little drama but not so much? Because all three of these relationships ended because the drama got to be too much then? No, no. Those relationships ended because we grew apart. It's just that it's the people that I meet. I go on a couple of dates with, and then I find out that I had gauged them wrong. And, and you know, I had an incident a little while ago. I saw a girl a couple of times, and she kind of stopped speaking to me and started telling people that I put a hex on her. And, <laughs> so you're looking yeah. at the little drama, but what you're finding right now is a little nuts. Yeah, I'm finding that my radar isn't as good as I thought that it was. <laughs> well, maybe it's time to retire from the drama. Maybe it's time to seek out some, not, not you know, maybe not as placid as you seem to think you are, but maybe you need to, you know, set your sights a little lower on the excitement scale. How old are you? Well, well, I, I'm 26. Uh-huh. I, I, tried, uh, I tried for a little while there um, to go after what I call the, the sensible shoes girls, and and, you know, found girls that were I was attracted to and liked, but there was really not much romantic chemistry between us. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I haven't really been actively seeking out drama queens. I'm kind of like looking back at my relationship past, I'm, I'm realizing those are the people that I had the passion with and those are the people that I had the enthusiasm for. They turn your crank. You want to be with someone who's a little dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, so I, I don't How can I help you? I mean, it sounds like you just need to keep, like, trying, moving from dangerous girl to dangerous girl to find the one who's not completely crazy or that you can stick with you do know you do know that like over the long haul everybody you know all relationships settle down and some people you know will view that as having grown apart and you know the fire going out it just means you become sort of comfortable with each other and you can start you know relaxing in the relationship and if that if you feel like you know a relationship that reaches that stage of sort of comfort and you know having settled down a little bit and being really relaxed around each other is the death of the relationship, then you're going to be sort of a serial monogamous who, you know, is always out there looking for, you know, a new relationship to replace the one that sort of mellowed out. Because they're all going to mellow out. Well, actually, I'm, I'm not really that into monogamy. Oh, well, then you're set. <laughs> okay. okay. You just, you need to be, well, especially at 26, like who is into monogamy at 26? Um, but yeah. if, if what you want is, you know, Lots of short-term, and by short-term I mean like six months to three years maybe, short-term relationships where then, you know, you guys are together for a time, you have a passion, it burns out, then you're friends as you are now with your three major exes, and you find the next girl who, you know, fills your life with the kind of drama and excitement that that, that you need, and then that turns your crank, right? So I, I wouldn't worry about it. Keep doing what you're doing, and eventually either you'll wake up and be 60 and dating some 24-year-old, uh, make a lot of money. I recommend that you go into a career where you make a lot of money um, so you can do that at 60. Or, you know, at 40, you'll, you know, realize you're three years into a relationship with someone who felt a little dangerous when you were 37, uh, and you've changed. You'll realize that, hey, maybe what I want now is different than what I wanted when I was 26, and maybe this mellow thing and this settled-down thing isn't the anathema that I thought it was when I was younger. So I just chill so the fuck out. Acceptance, You're counseling acceptance. Yeah, yeah. Half the times, people's you know sexual relationship problems are things they just need to accept, and you know, as, as part of their you know emotional 
makeup and part of their sexual needs. And mm-hmm. it sounds like what you need is that burst of excitement and newness and danger that always is uh, pissed away in a long-term relationship. It always goes away. It always fades. And if that's what you need, if that's what you want in a relationship is always that, then you're going to be the kind of person who moves from relationship to relationship. And so long as you're not stringing women along and telling them that, you know, you aren't who you are and that, you know, you, what you can don't tell women that what you want is a house and the kids and a 50-year anniversary party with your grandkids one day, like – don't lie yeah, to no, them. I, I try to get that stuff out of the way. Yeah, don't lie. And as long as you're honest, then it's perfectly cool what you're doing. Well, thanks a lot. That actually makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. And uh, thanks for phoning your question into the podcast. Hey, Colin from Victoria, British Columbia. And I'm calling because uh, recently my two best friends here started dating each other, which I think is absolutely great. Um, and I hadn't seen them for a while, and so I didn't uh, really know, you know where they were getting to emotionally, physically, all that. And I, uh, I spent time with her. They're uh, early 20s. I guess he's 22, and uh, she's 21. Uh, heterosexual couple. Yeah, so I saw her tonight and uh, spoke to her about things, how things were going. And uh, she kind of passingly said that they'd had a conversation, you know, mostly in jest uh, about what they would do if uh, if she were to get pregnant, and and I asked her why the hell they'd have that conversation, and you know she said without really being serious about it um, that they weren't being as careful as they could be, and so I'm assuming this means that maybe she's not on birth control right now. Um, obviously, if there's some kind of risk of pregnancy, and I'm guessing that they're probably not using a condom either. Now I love both these people, and they've known each other forever, and I've known them forever, but they're not the least promiscuous people in the world, and this strikes me as inherently stupid either way. Um, I tried to really bring her back down to earth while we were speaking, you know, look her directly in the eyes and say, for me, please stop being dumb. And she kind of laughed at it, and for her, I think that was the context. She took it and like, oh, ha, ha. Um, but I'm not joking, and, and I couldn't seem to get her to understand that I wasn't joking. In fact, I called her uh, back after we hung out and, and let her know that I really wasn't joking and I really wanted them to stop doing that. Um, and called him, and they both just seemed to kind of take it in stride and, and, and laugh it off as if, oh, we're being silly, and this is as if it's uh, romantic and funny and, and nice and it's a lark. And I understand it's not my responsibility to make sure that they're, uh, that they're doing the right thing. But at the same time, by the same token, I, I want to make sure that they're hearing what I'm saying. So at least I can know that they listened when I spoke, heard that I didn't approve of this, and that now if anything happens, I don't have to feel at all responsible or feel like I didn't speak up. As it is, I feel like I'm doing something wrong in communicating, and so they're not hearing what I have to say, and so that I'm not really absolved of my responsibility to speak up about it as a friend. Um, What's the best way to bring people who are kind of wrapped up in their initial infatuation with one another back down to earth and remind them that his sperm will still get her pregnant and his STDs are still transmittable? Um, I'm, I'm just not sure how to go about it. You're perfectly positioned uh, with having said what you did say to whip out the I told you so's when and if she gets pregnant or he passes an STD to her or she passes an STD to him. Um you know, you didn't do anything wrong, and you really did all you can do. You spoke up. Uh, it's up to them to, you know, hear you, and it sounds like they heard you. Uh, it's frustrating when you admonish someone about being safe or responsible to listen to them laugh you off and pretend that you're some sort of, you know, uh, fuss budget, killjoy, uh, buzz-killing, uh, you know, anti-sex person when you're not. You just... Uh, want them to be enjoy themselves and, and have the sex they're having 
but be safe and responsible and take care of themselves. Once you've said that, once you've said your piece, you really have to let people go to hell in their own way. If they're acting in a way that you feel is like hysterically irresponsible, uh, you know, if you have a friend who's shooting heroin or is pregnant and, you know, smoking crack, uh, there's a point that comes where you say, I can't be around you anymore. This is so, uh, so awful. I disapprove so strongly that we cannot be friends. I cannot be friends with someone who's going to use heroin or endanger uh, a child like this. So it's over. Goodbye. Call me when you get your shit together. This doesn't sound like it's anything like that extreme. Um, they're taking some risks that they, as adults at 21 and 22, have a right to take, including risking pregnancy. Uh, maybe they want to get pregnant. Maybe they're trying to laugh and back themselves up into pregnancy and a commitment and perhaps a marriage. Uh, some people wind up doing it that way. Some people... Um, you know, take some risks, have a laugh about it, uh, roll the dice, and if they get pregnant, then they, you know, decide to have the kid because that's actually what they wanted. That's why they were taking those risks. Um, it's not necessarily comparable to, say, gay people taking those risks when all they're going to get is a lifetime of medical problems and a shortened lifetime. You know, some heterosexual couples back into commitment by, uh, you know, putting the baby gun to their heads and then uh, figuring out whether they're going to pull the trigger or head on down to the abortion clinic. So if that's what they're doing, that's the right. You did what you needed to do. You tried to enforce, like, good behavior, community norm. You let them know where you're at. You let them know what you think. Uh, now it's your job to uh, shut up and be their friend uh, and be there for them uh, when the inevitable happens, whether the inevitable is they get their act together and start uh, being more responsible or they get pregnant and uh, then to figure out what they're going to do about that. Um, but they have a right to uh, make the choices that they're making. You have a right to speak your mind. You spoke your mind. They get to keep making the choices that they're making. We're making new choices. Uh, and you, I think, should still uh, be their friends and be there for them. Ah, we're done. <laughs> the um, at-risk youth who run the podcast uh, are giving me the it's all over sign. Uh, the phone number here at the podcast is 206-201-2720. If you want to record a question for a future Savage Love podcast, and I encourage you to do that, uh, that's the number to call, 206-201-2720. If you'd like me uh, to return your call or chat with you if I want to ask you a follow-up question, uh, please include your phone number, which we will not include in the podcast. We won't uh, broadcast your phone number out there to the whole world. But in case I have a follow-up question or want to chat with you live during the podcast, it would be great to have your phone number. So leave your phone number. Again, the phone number if you want to call the Savage Love Podcast, 206-201-2720. And uh, we'll be back next week with more of this uh Hysterical crap. <laughs> <laughs>